All right. Well, hey, here this morning, uh, as uh, Lucas prayed, we're celebrating Christmas, but we're also going to continue on in the series that we've been preaching and teaching through for the last year. We're studying, if you're new with us this morning, we're studying the life and ministry of Jesus Christ through all four Gospels at the same time. And we're studying it chronologically to see what it looks like from his, his birth through his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension. And uh, we're studying all of that, and uh, we've been going at it for a year now. And this is the 42nd message in that series. That's hard to believe, isn't it? But I believe that this morning's message actually ties in uh, to how we often see Christmas. To how we often, often see it. Um, So as we begin, let me pray. And then uh, we will dive right in. And if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. you got an app, you got a Bible, whatever you got, open up to Matthew chapter 7. And when I finish praying, that's where we'll start. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that he is uh, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend. I thank you, Father, that, that you are incredibly generous. Um, in fact, the most well-known verse maybe in, in all of our culture is that uh, God, for you so loved the world that you gave, that you gave, that you gave your one and only son. And we celebrate that this season. We look forward, though, to his coming again as well. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that as I speak and as I teach, you would fill me and uh, speak to me and through me and you would use me. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, who would uh, take your word and twist it and accuse us and um, not allow us to learn from your word, but, but would want us to be beat up by it. So instead, teach us from your word. Let us leave changed as, uh, as new people uh, seeking after Jesus in powerful ways. Father, we love you. Look forward to a good morning. We pray all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bible open, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 7. Jesus says this, he's in his Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard of that? It's maybe one of the most famous passages, famous discourses in all of human history. And that's where we're at this morning. And Jesus begins, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He goes on. And he says this, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, this passage is is another one that Uh, Many people know, but it's a really hard one for so many people to believe. It's a hard one for so many people to believe for a lot of reasons. I mean, look at the way it starts. Jesus starts and he says, ask and it will be given to you. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people doubt this passage. They doubt that. Why? Why? Have you ever doubted that? You hear Jesus say, hey, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened. How about when you were a little kid? Did you ever ask for something for Christmas? 
You wanted the Red Ryder BB gun. And like the kid on Christmas story, your mom's like, no, you'll shoot your eye out, right? And did you get it? You asked for it. Why didn't you receive it? You, you even went a step above mom and dad. You prayed for that BB gun. And it never showed up, did it? Well, what's going on here? Jesus says, ask and you'll receive. I asked. Why didn't I get it? Well, there's a handful of reasons that we'll talk about this morning. But if you're like me, you've asked for things and you haven't received them. You've sought Jesus for something and the answer has been no. You've, you've knocked and you've waited for a door to open. Praying to God for that door to finally open. And it didn't open. And it didn't open. And because of that, Jesus' words here often tend to ring hollow with people. Well, here's a question for you before we go on that you have to decide at some point. When Jesus says these words, when Jesus speaks in general, do you believe him? I mean, really, on a practical, do you believe what he says? That when he says, ask and you will receive, do you, do you believe that? Like, I, I know it, but I don't know if I know it. <laughs> right? I don't know if it's made it from my head to my heart to where I've really experienced that. And I know that and I believe it. And that's a huge key this morning. The reason Jesus tells us to ask, the reason he tells us to seek, the reason he tells us to knock is because God hears and he answers prayer. God hears and he answers prayer. Have you ever had any of your prayers answered that you've prayed about things for God and he's answered you? How about the flip side of that? Have you ever prayed and you felt like your prayers were bouncing off the ceiling and he never even heard you, let alone answered you? Well, there's some pastors, some theologians who would stand here and say, you know, unless you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God doesn't even hear your prayer. I wouldn't say that. But I would say if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he delights to to give you good things and to answer your prayer in a unique way. But even if you're not a believer, I believe that God still answers the prayers. He's he's all-knowing. He knows what you're praying. He hears what you're praying. But why does it sometimes seem like it's just bouncing off the ceiling? This raises, you know, as Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, Jesus says. The one who who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Well, when that doesn't happen for us, it raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? Just me? Does it raise questions for you? The most pressing is, why didn't God answer? Why didn't he hear me? What about the times, Jesus says, seek and you'll find, ask, it'll be given to you. What about the times when I ask, but I never receive them? What about those times? Is Jesus a liar? I mean, Jesus' words here simply don't line up with my experience sometimes. I'll give you some examples from my life. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I can give you examples from this fall from my life. The microphone's kind of ringing a little bit. Oh, Mark's not up there. Um, but I can give you examples from my, my life this fall. 
Uh, some of you, if you're new, if you're here at part of our church, you know uh, in August, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Hannah and I were uh, heading on vacation with her family to Wisconsin, and the plan was to circle from Wisconsin down through Minnesota and into Iowa to visit my family. And so on the way to, Minnes- in, way to Wisconsin, I called my dad, and I can remember the road we're on, and I'm talking to him. He's asking me about a bike trip I had been on the week before. And it was normal conversation. He's asking how it went. And I said, yeah, confirming plans. We're going to be coming home next week. We'll probably be home, you know, Saturday evening, whatever it was. And talked for about five minutes. And all of a sudden, he started asking the same questions again. And we talked for about five minutes more. And he asked the same questions again. And over 20 minutes, we had the same conversation, exact same conversation four times. And I looked at Hannah. I'm like, that's just strange. What's going on? And I called and talked to my mom. She said, this has been going on for a couple weeks. Well, the next day he left for, uh, for Michigan on a business trip. He had to fly to Holland, Michigan. And he, he got there. And uh, that morning they're waiting to head over. He was traveling with three other guys. They're waiting outside for him in the car. And he never shows up to leave that morning and head over to the office. And so one of them finally goes up and gets him because it wasn't like him. And they knock on the door and he answers it. And he's still wandering around ironing his shirt, not really sure where he is, confused. And so Ray, kind of a big burly guy, my dad's boss, you know, he goes, Tony, you're, you're calling your doctor or your wife? Make a choice. <laughs> and so he called my mom. He's, she's, he's like, what do I do? We had had a heart attack earlier in the summer, so we thought maybe it's some of the meds. They took him to the hospital, and they did an MRI, and they found uh, a huge tumor in his brain. And uh, learned later, it was about two to three inches long, spanned both hemispheres. And I, I heard that. My mom called kind of frantic that morning. And uh, we were in Wisconsin, and I, I just remember praying, God, let him be okay. Don't, don't let it be, what? What's the C word? Cancer. Yeah. And praying that, and... And Hannah and I took off and we drove down into Illinois, met my mom as she was driving across and drove up into Michigan to pick up my dad. And uh, they went home and she, my mom's really persistent, if you know my mom at all. And she got him into Mayo that Friday. And so I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm seeking God, don't don't let that be it, save my dad. And uh, they get to Mayo and they they look at the MRI, they run some of the tests and initially they go, yeah, I think it is, but we got to do a biopsy. Okay, well, we do the biopsy the next week, and you know, don't, don't let that be what it is. Please, please. And I prayed, and I pleaded, and I asked. Because Jesus says, when you ask, you what? You receive. And I sought him, because when we seek, we find knocked. It was a door that seemed closed, but God could open doors, right? But he didn't open it. We got the biopsy back that day, and initially, the diagnosis was, yeah, I think that, the doc said, I think that's what it is. I think it's a glioblastoma, this really aggressive brain cancer. And sure enough, the full pathology came back in a few days, and that's what it was. Well, then it's like, okay, well, maybe the treatment would heal him. Well, there's like one person documented who's lived more than three years with that kind of tumor. (laughs) Maybe he'll be two. You know, and I'm praying again. And so many many of you prayed with me, didn't you? And we asked, but, but, but the answer was no. Now, I got to be fair because I also asked that he would make it to my brother's wedding in October, and he did. And that was a huge answer to prayer. But I remember leaving then on November 12th, and I, I told Hannah that morning, I got up to leave. I was going to go home and help mom with dad for a few days. Uh, 
and be back Saturday night for Sunday morning. And I said, oh, today's mom and dad's anniversary. And I'm on my way home and I get a phone call as I'm going through Chicago on the way. And, um, hey, Josh, you need to hurry. Dad's taking a turn for the worse. I think he's dying. I mean, I can remember those words from my mom. And I'm going, okay, well, let him be okay. Don't let him die today. Not on their anniversary. Let me make it back. I got about an hour away from home and I got a call from my brother that, that he had passed. Why didn't God answer those prayers? I asked. I saw it. I, I knocked. It'd be really easy to be bitter at God, wouldn't it? Some of you have had the exact same experience. We had another experience this, this fall. Hannah and I have been praying for, for a family and for kids and uh, found out she was pregnant right after all this started and we're excited. And then the next week, uh, find out the pregnancy is ectopic or tubal and we have to have surgery. The baby won't make it. And if we don't have surgery, like in the next 24 hours, Hannah won't either. Well, oops, excuse me. God, God, God preserved her. He saved her. It was good, right? But, but why didn't he answer our prayer? And we've still been praying and nothing. Why doesn't, you've prayed these things before. Some of you have experienced this. Why doesn't God answer? And I don't share that so that, you know, you feel sorry for Josh. I don't, that's not why I share it. I share it because our experience is so not unique. It's not unique. Every person in this room, you could tell similar stories about times that you pleaded with God for things and you asked for things and, and Christmas came and it wasn't under the tree. It wasn't there for you. And in fact, sometimes the answer was totally opposite of that. So as I read, you know, Jesus' words, asking you'll receive, we, there, a lot of times we come to a couple conclusions, either, well, maybe Jesus is lying Maybe Jesus is lying, except the problem is it doesn't line up with what we know about Scripture, right? Titus 1 says, the Bible is really clear that God doesn't lie. Titus 1, 2 says, uh, talks about having in hope of, being in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies. The writer of Hebrews says in 6, 18, it's impossible for God to lie. Go to the Old Testament. It says in Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie or, the, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He said, and he will do it. Or has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God doesn't lie. And the Bible's also clear that Jesus is God. He's fully man, yes, but he's fully God. In fact, he was God first. Some religions would teach you that at Christmas, you know what happened? There, there was a, a baby born, his name was Jesus. He was a really good guy, and he was so good that he became God. No, 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 that's, that's not the truth. The truth is that God, in his love for us, became a man. He humbled himself. He put on flesh and was born of a virgin and lived the life we couldn't. The Bible is clear that Jesus is God. It talks about it in, in John 1 and John 10. That Jesus himself said that he was God. They, they, they crucified him because he claimed he was God. So if if God can't lie and Jesus is God, what's that mean about Jesus? He can't what? He can't lie. So when he says, ask and you'll receive, he's telling what? The truth. He's telling the truth. 
So why didn't I experience that? What, what, what else is going on then? That can't be right. Well, maybe that promise doesn't include me. Maybe that's the conclusion you draw. You know, I, I get that, but, but maybe that promise is just for people who are really spiritual, who really got it together, you know, like the pastor. Oh, wait, <laughs> that's me. And, and it wasn't answered. See, the problem with that saying it doesn't include me or, or that God doesn't answer because you're not good enough. You realize Jesus prayed some things that God didn't answer. If God doesn't answer his own son sometimes in the, and not that he doesn't answer, but he didn't answer the way that he prayed for it, right? Jesus says, as he's in the garden the night before his death, he says, Father, remove this cup from me. Take it away. But God doesn't do it, does he? So if even Jesus' prayer isn't answered with a yes, then the conclusion that the promise doesn't apply to me or that somehow I'm just not good enough, it doesn't, it doesn't hold water. James says that the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we have Jesus' righteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have and become the righteousness of God. So there's something else going on here. The reason God doesn't always answer the way we want him to answer, right? Well, maybe you've heard this. Uh, People, it's been said that God answers prayers in three ways. Do you know him? The first one is yes. The second one is no. The third one is ask again later. It's been said that God answers every prayer in one of those three ways. Either says yes, he says no, or he says ask again later. Think about it. If you're a parent and you have kids, you could probably boil down every request that they make of you to those three answers, right? Hey, um, dad, can I have a puppy? Yes. You go to mom, hey, mom, can I have a puppy? No. They're messy. Wake up in the morning. Can, can I have ice cream for breakfast? Ask again later. Maybe after dinner tonight. Right? One of those three responses is often the answer. Well, I think that's really true. That th- those are the three ways, just in a nutshell, that God answers prayer. So, so what are some reasons that God doesn't answer yes? Because that's the answer I like. I like the yes answer. Anybody else? Offer yes? Yes. Say yes. Yeah, I, I like that. Now, if, if I wasn't true to God's word, you know what I would stand here and say? I would say, you're, if you believe it, you can claim it, and it can be yours, and God will always say yes. You know the problem with that is? That's, no, that's just not in the Bible. And we're going to see what God's word has to say, right? So here... Here's some reasons from God's word that God doesn't always answer yes. Here's the first one. Um, I asked for the wrong thing. I asked for the wrong thing. Uh, There's an example of this in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 20 and following. You can jot that down. Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, came up to Jesus with her sons. The sons of Zebedee were James and John. They're, one, they're the 12 disciples. Now, think about this. These are guys in their late teens, early 20s, probably early to mid-20s, most likely. And they come to Jesus with who? Their mom. Their mom grabs the sons of Zebedee, and, and they go to Jesus together. 
she wanted to ask him for something. And uh, he said to her, he said, Jesus said, what, what do you want? And so she said to him, she said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. You know, it's, she goes to the principal and says, make them student body president when they're in high school. One president, one vice president. One at the right hand, one at the left hand. And Jesus answered. You know what his answer was to her? You don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. She asked for the wrong thing. When Mark records it, he says that James and John were the one who asked. But my guess is it's maybe a combination of the two that maybe they got their mom to go ask for them or uh, they got there and then they asked also after she did. Because they come to him and they, here, here's what's curious about J, the, the account in Mark chapter 10. Uh, when Mark records this from his perspective, he says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You ever go to God like that? Maybe, maybe you don't say it that way, but that's the attitude. I, I, I tend to do that. Hey, hey, Jesus, I got a couple things. I, I, I love you. Thanks for you giving me. I got a couple things to ask of you, and I'd like you to do whatever I ask. I'd like you to do whatever it is I ask for you. This is what I want you to do. You, you've ever prayed like that practically? That's what they do. They come to him. They say, give us... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus says to them too, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. They're asking for the wrong thing. They're asking for the wrong thing. Tim Keller writes this in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It was published uh, last year. He writes, he goes, I prayed. He's talking about when he was in, in college. I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry. But she wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Of course, in hindsight, he writes, it was the wrong girl. I actually did what I could even to help God with the prayer because one summer near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. I was saying, Lord, I'm making this as easy as possible for you. I've asked you for this, and I've taken the, the geographical distance away. Kind of like James and John. So, so do for me whatever I ask of you. But as I look back, he says, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. I always give them whatever they ask if if." what they would ask if they knew what I know. And he was asking for the wrong thing, like James and John. You ever asked for the wrong thing? I know I have. I've asked for the wrong thing, and God doesn't answer according to what I want, but what according to what I would ask if I knew everything he did. Because he knows what's best for me. Think about this. Jesus goes on to, to talk about him being a good father. How many of you have your kids? If, if sometimes they ask you for the wrong thing, Right? They just flat out ask for the wrong thing. And it's like, if I said yes, that would be so damaging to them. And so really what I'm, I can only answer and do for them uh, what, what I would do if they asked everything from, the, from my perspective, knowing what I know, 
what's best for them. Well, sometimes I ask for the wrong thing. Number two, another reason I think God doesn't always answer yes is that sometimes I ask in the wrong way. Sometimes I ask in the wrong way. James 4, verse 3, says, You ask and do not receive. This is Jesus' little brother James writing. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. See, when, it, when we talk about asking in the wrong way, really, there's two pieces to that. First one is asking for the wrong reason. Now, that was part of James and, and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? They asked, for the, they asked it in, for the wrong thing, but they also asked for the wrong reasons. Why were they asking to sit at Jesus' right and left hand? So that they could be in control, so that they could have power, so that they could be in charge. See, James says, you, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I ask for the wrong reason. It's for me. It's for my glory, not for ultimately what God would want for me. Max Lucado writes this. I thought this was a good story. He says, when my oldest daughter was about six years old, she and I were having a discussion about my work. He's a pastor, if you're not familiar with him. It seems she wasn't too happy with my chosen profession. She wanted me to leave the ministry. Dad, I like you as a preacher, she explained. I just really wish you sold snow cones. An honest request, he writes, from a pure heart. It made sense to her that the happiest people in the world were the men who drove the snow cone trucks. You play music, you sell goodies, you make kids happy. What more could you want? Come to think of it, he writes, she may have a point. I could get a loan by a truck and he goes, nah, I'd eat too much. He says, I heard a request, but I didn't heed it. Why? Well, because I knew better. I know what I'm called to do and, and what I need to do. The fact is, I knew more about life than she did at that point. And it's the same with God. God hears our requests, but his answer is not always what we'd like it to be. Why? Because God knows more about life than we do. And sometimes we ask for the wrong reasons, for selfish reasons, but God knows more. And he doesn't give it to us in that way. Sometimes asking in the wrong way is simply asking for the wrong timing. You know what the primary example of this is? Oftentimes is with, with young, unmarried singles. Asking for God to provide a spouse. And I, I, I want it, and I want it now. I'm like J.G. Wentworth, right? It's my money, and I want it now. I, I, I want to, why, why doesn't God give this to me now? I've been waiting for so long. Why not now? Why not now? Why not now? How about today? How about tomorrow? Three days? And it's just simply the wrong timing. God's timing is perfect and it's best. Well, third reason, sometimes it's the wrong thing that I ask for, sometimes in the, in the wrong way. And sometimes I can ask in the right way. I can ask in, for the right reason. I can ask for the right thing. But it's simply not God's will. Sometimes it's simply not God's will. Now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is sovereign? You know what that means? Sovereign means that he's in control of everything. That he rules and reigns and has full scope and vision and knowledge and control of everything. And nothing happens that isn't without him knowing about it, without 
him ordaining it in some way, shape, or form. Sovereignty means that God is in full and complete control. Well, then what that means is that sometimes things just simply aren't his will. It's not what he would have for me. It's not what he's planned for me. See, John writes this in his his first letter in chapter 5. He says, and this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, I didn't tell you all of Jesus' prayer in the garden when God didn't answer him. When he says, Lord, please take this cup from me. Do you know what piece of that was missing? He said, if it's your will, take this cup from me. And he goes on and he says, but only do what's according to your will. Your will be done. Some of us memorize that as little kids, the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Praying according to God's will. So it begs the question then, if sometimes something's just not in the cards for me because it's just not what God has planned, then, and, and I think through reasons why God doesn't say yes and I need to ask for the right thing, for the right reason and according to his will, then how do I do that? How do I ask? How do I know how to ask for the right thing in the right way in the right time according to God's will? I think the answer is in John 15. John chapter 15, this will be on the screen, but you can turn there if you'd like as well. In John 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus writes, or says this. He says, abide in me and I in you. Abide means to remain. Abide means to stay. Abide means to, to hang out, to stick around, not to move, but just to remain there. Jesus says, abide, remain, stay in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Think about it. If you have a a vine in your backyard or an apple tree or whatever it is, and, and you cut a branch off and you just lay it on the ground and you go out a week later and expect there to be fruit on it, you think there will be? No, why? Because it's not connected to the tree. It's not abiding in the tree any longer. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, here it is again, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This tells me that a key for me, if I, if I want to ask for the right thing, uh, for the right reason, the right time, according to God's will, I need to abide in Jesus Christ. I need to be close to Jesus. So that way I know what his will is, right? That way I know what his will is. I must abide That's the key. He goes on in verse 14 of chapter 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. 
See, I believe when Jesus is saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He's saying it's an imperative. In other words, it could be translated, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Abide. Remain. Stay. Seek after me. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek after me, God says, with your whole heart, you will find me. Keep seeking God. Keep on asking. It will be given to you. Keep on seeking. You will find. Keep on knocking. It will be opened. Oftentimes when God doesn't answer the way we want or when we're facing adversity, if you're like me, the last thing you really want to do is just abide and wait. Anybody else impatient? You just, you just don't feel like it. I don't, I don't feel like it. Yeah, that's exactly the point sometimes, I think, why God says no, is so that we would wait and abide and seek him. In his book, The Pressure's Off, I, I want to share this story with you because I thought it was powerful. Larry Crabb, he's a psychologist, used to be at Grace uh, College. He, he wrote this. He goes, one Saturday afternoon, to writing about when he was a little boy, he's about three years old, I decided I was a big boy and I could use the bathroom without anybody's help. So I climbed the stairs, I closed and locked the door behind me, and for the next few minutes I felt very self-sufficient. Well, then it was time to leave. I couldn't unlock the door. I tried with every ounce of my three-year-old strength, but I couldn't do it. So I did what any three-year-old would do. I panicked. I felt again like a very little boy as the thought went through my head. I might spend the rest of my life in this bathroom. My parents and likely the neighbors heard my desperate scream. Are are, are you okay? My mother shouted through the door as she ran up the stairs. She couldn't open it from the outside. Did did you fall? Have Have you hit your head? I can't unlock the door, I yelled. Get me out of here. I wasn't aware of it right then, he writes, but dad raced down the stairs, ran to the garage to find the ladder, hauled it off the hooks, leaned it against the side of the house just beneath the bedroom, the bedroom window, bathroom window. With adult strength, he pried it open, then climbed into my prison, walked past me, and with that same strength, turned the lock and opened the door. Thanks, dad, I said, and I ran out to play. He goes on, he says, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can to free myself. When I can't, then I should pray. Then God shows up. He hears my cry, get me out of here, I want to play. And unlocks the door to the blessings I desire. And you know what, sometimes he does. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, I'm realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us content with God? Do we even like him when he doesn't open the door that we most want opened? When a marriage doesn't heal? When rebellious kids still rebel? When friends betray? When financial reversals threaten our comfortable way of life? When the prospect of terrorism looms? When health worsens despite much prayer? When loneliness intensifies and depression deepens? When ministries die? God has climbed through the small window into my dark room, but he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. I don't know. I see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, unlock the door. Dear friends, the choice is ours. 
Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, to escape our dark room, to run to the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to simply sit with him for now, perhaps in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him well in this difficult world. Isn't that a powerful illustration? Now, we spent a lot of time this morning talking about how to pray, or really how not to pray, right? But do you realize that's not the main point of what Jesus is saying here, even? All those are good things. And the reason I bring them up is because it's not the main point, but it's the main question we have when you read it. But the main point is this, and here's where we'll end. Let me read it to you again. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, the, the primary issue at stake here in this passage is not how to pray. It's not how to pray. The primary issue at stake here is my view of God. That's what's primary here is how do I view God, God the Father? Jesus is telling us what to do, to ask, seek, knock, to pray. But, but the primary point isn't how to do it, it's why. How do you view God? That's a question that only you can answer for yourself. Only you. How do you view God the Father? Who do you believe God is? I mean, Jesus goes through these examples. If, if, how many of you, if your son asks him for bread, give him a stone? Dad, how many times has your, your little boy come to you and he's like, Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, what would you like? Can I have a piece of bread? Yeah, here's a rock. Suck on that. Would you do that? You're like, no, that'd be, that'd be horrible. Or mom, your, your daughter comes to you and she says, mom, I'm hungry. What, what would you like to eat? It's lunchtime. What would you like? Uh, how about fish sticks? And you toss her a live snake to play with instead. Who, who would do that? Jesus is, is making a point. Who would do that? He's like, all of us, all of you, excuse me, who are evil, you're sinful. You know how to good gifts, give good gifts. Don't you think your father knows how to give good gifts? The one who's in heaven? He's without sin. He's not evil. He's perfect. He gives really good gifts. The key here is who do you think God is? It's not how do I get God to answer my prayer and give me what I want? No, it's who do you really, truly, at your heart level, believe your Father in heaven is? Do you believe He's good? For me, when God doesn't answer my prayer about my earthly dad living and not having cancer, do I still believe that, that God, my heavenly Father, is good? I do. I do. Because God's word teaches that, but also he blessed me with a, with a father who was a great example of that, who shared his name well and made it really easy for me to love my heavenly father. Here's the last thing we'll close with is that some of you, this is really hard for you to grasp that God is good because you had a father who isn't or wasn't. You have a hard time calling God father because you have a hard time with your earthly father. 
I've come across a lot of people as a pastor who view God as a trickster. They view him as, as just a killjoy with a warped sense of humor. Oftentimes they come from an abusive background. Their, their father, to trust a father figure, their ability to do that has been so severely damaged. And, and that's some of you in this room whose stories I know and whose stories I don't. As a result, you, you, you fail to trust that God is good. You refuse to ask him for things because if I would ask, if I would really seek, I'd just find him not to like me. I'd find him not to really love me. If that's you, I just want to talk to you for a second. Can, can I very kindly and lovingly encourage you with something? Your problem in not trusting God the Father is that you're comparing God the Father to your earthly father. You're saying, I don't trust that father because of my experience with this father. And if he's anything like this, I want nothing to do with him. And if this father treats me that way, why would that father treat me any different? Yet you're seeing it completely backwards. You're comparing God the Father to your earthly father when in fact you need to judge your earthly father based on what you know of your heavenly father. See, God the Father doesn't share your dad's name. Your dad shares the name Father, which is given to him from his heavenly father. And he's to model and reference him. And some of you had great fathers in this way, but others of you had a really horrible experience. So let, let me tell you, even if your earthly father isn't loving, your heavenly father is loving. Here's some, here's some characteristics of your heavenly father. He's loving. Let this sink in. Even if you had a good father, and that's the point of Jesus' passage, who do you believe God the Father to be? Would you really ask him for things? Well, he's loving. He's generous. God so loved the world that he gave. Even if your earthly father isn't generous, your heavenly father is. He's faithful. He's faithful. If your earthly dad wasn't faithful, your heavenly father is faithful. He's gentle. He's strong also. Yet he's tender. He's a friend to you. Maybe you're not a friend with your earthly dad, but you know what? God the Father views you as his friend if you've trusted Jesus. He's wealthy. You're a rich kid. You love Jesus. He's compassionate. He's caring. He's a provider. If your earthly dad never provided, your heavenly father does. He's powerful. He's respectable. He loves to enter your world and spend time with you. Loved ones, God the Father is a perfect father who loves you and delights to give good gifts to his children. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, let me commend to you, trust him. He's come into the world not just to come and hang out and make life miserable for everybody with a bunch of rules. He's come because God the Father is generous and he loves you and he sent his son to pay the price you could never pay, which is the penalty for your sin. So that you could become his child, so that you could be adopted and become 
one of God's children. And it starts by simply recognizing, you know what? I'm an orphan. I need a father. I'm messed up. I'm sinful. I need a savior. And I turn. Biblically, it means I repent. I turn. I turn to Jesus. I trust him. I give him my sin. He gives me his righteousness and his love and his grace and his peace. And now I can ask and receive. I can seek and I can find. I can knock and the door will will be open to me whenever I do so according to his will. Amen? Listen, I'm going to pray. We're going to take our offering. We're going to close this song. And we'll call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Uh, Thank you for sending him uh, to live the life we couldn't on this earth, to uh, give good gifts to us, to to make us your children so that you could give us even greater gifts. Uh, Father, there's so many times we ask and uh, we, we... Myself included, we can, we can pray, and it's almost like we're just rubbing the side of the bottle waiting for the genie to pop out and give us whatever we wish. Thanks for examples who were your own disciples, part of the 12, who um, sometimes failed in the same way in James and John. Help us, though, to ask you rightly, to ask for the right thing, to ask in the right way according to your will, and, and to do that always abiding in you. Because you love us. We abide with you. We stay with you because you're good. Because it's what's best. Help us to be children who crawl into your lap and just spend time with you. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for Christmas. Thanks for your grace to us. We pray all this through your son, Jesus. Amen.